0: Participate, engage, speak out, use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence,
1: driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host,
0: Roger Rickard. Hello, and I hope you're enjoying season three of the Voices in Advocacy podcast. I'm Roger Rickard, President and Founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts for their organizations, be they corporations, associations, Trade organizations and nonprofit cause groups. Now, let's get started. On today's show, I am so pleased to have with me Amanda Carhouse, right? as the director of advocacy for the National Association of Secondary School Principals (NASSP), where she has served in that role since 2006. Amanda is the founding member of the Women in Government Relations Education Task Force, served on their board of directors, and now leads the WGR Women Professional Women in Advocacy Conference Committee. She also represents NASSP as the president of the National Coalition for Technology and Education and Training, and as the chair of Advocates for Literacy. Sounds fascinating. Uh, Prior to her tenure, she was a senior writer and editor at the Women's Congressional Policy Institute and worked for four years on Capitol Hill as a legislative assistant for a former congresswoman of Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome Amanda to today's show. Welcome, Amanda.
1: Thank you, Roger, for having me today. I'm excited to be here.
0: And before we get started, I abused your last name after we discussed it, before we got on the air, so please correct it for me right now.
1: Yes, hi everyone, Amanda Car hughes
0: Car hughes wonderful, I will do my best, I always have a problem with that, so let's get started. So, so getting into this, let's tell people about the mission of the National Association of Secondary School Principals.
1: Yeah, so NASSP is the leading organization for middle and high school principals, assistant principals, and school leaders. We are also the proud home of the National Honor Society and National Student Council, and our vision is great leaders in each school committed to the success of each student. And so that's what we strive to do, make principals be better leaders within their schools, and we do that through our policy and advocacy work as well.
0: You know, there's no question about it. Probably every student, if they took a minute to think about going through their education process, that they have people that are your members that have influenced them dramatically. Is there any backstory for you? Anybody that you want to kind of pull out and throw out there?
1: Well, it's it's funny. I think everybody has a, a different experience with their principals. Some good, some bad. I think um, funny enough for me. I remember him, you know, being in the hallway greeting students. I played in the marching band, and he was at every football game. But it wasn't until I I started working at NASSP that I ran into him in a professional setting, and um, he was just so excited to hear that I was doing this this work um, to to help principals be better at their jobs. And I do remember just the impact that he had on my school is that I remember having outstanding teachers the entire time I was in high school. And so I know that that was his direct influence because he was responsible for hiring and mentoring and, you know, making sure that those teachers were as great as they could be.
0: Yeah, the, the hidden work that most people don't know and understand is probably the key to the success of that. Now, in doing research, I saw a lot of information about the issues that really matter to your members, to the organization. So uh, in a short synopsis, can you give us some of your key priorities in the year
1: 2021? <laughs> yeah, there's, a- some, <laughs> there's so many. Education is a huge field. And as you can imagine, the principal kind of touches every aspect of that. Um, I'll say right now, our members, you know, most immediate focus is you know recovering from the pandemic and actually we're we're still in the pandemic today so it's making sure that students can return for in-safe in-person learning but in a safe environment you know they are the ones who for the most part are responsible for that infection control protocols and you know um making sure that if students or staff do get sick and have to quarantine and are doing a lot of the contact tracing themselves so that's an immediate need. Also, just kind of looking at what learning took place during this last school year. You know, it's going to look very different across the country. What kind of experience students had? So, making sure where they are and how we can accelerate learning for them. Um, and also, just you know, the the mental health impact that this pandemic has had on everyone, that the students and staff within the building, and just making sure that everyone's getting the supports they need. So you know, that the pandemic is top of mind. I think other priorities um, within the policy and advocacy areas, we're really focused on infrastructure of the buildings. You know, we're kind of learning now about ventilation systems and all these other things. But, you know, the truth is there have been kids around this country who have been in schools that were built 50, 60, even 70 years ago that had asbestos, had lead in the water, um, and were just not a safe and healthy environment for them to be learning. So that's a big priority for us as we go into this reconciliation process. And then just looking at the educator workforce. We were suffering from shortages in the teaching profession. We were seeing a lot of principals Um, leaving the principalship even before the pandemic. We did some research on that back in 2020. And so just seeing what we can do to get more people and more more people of color too into the profession are some of our top priorities and how we can make sure that they are excellent teachers and school
0: leaders. So to give a clue to the people listening to this, on the website, they have 22 issue topics. And underneath those topics, there are hundreds of different posts all over the place and everything from things that you would think about, of course, uh, you know, the culture uh, of the schools, to ethics, to policy, to equity, uh, all over the place, strategic management. So when you began (laughs) your answer by saying, you know, it, it touches upon so many different areas, of concern, uh, people would be probably shocked to know and understand all the different hats that your members have to juggle and all the balls that are in the air constantly be- because oh. of that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. And it, and, it, and it is challenging for us to then prioritize, too. I can't tell you, like, how many different coalitions we belong to and, and kind of have to um, you know, my staff and I have to determine, you know, which meetings are we going to attend, which letters are we going to sign on to, because there's so much coming at us and everybody would like the support of the principals, but we really have to, to stay focused on what our members' immediate needs are.
0: Right. And I would imagine an ongoing issue for you is just standing up and constantly fighting for school funding uh, on, on a general basis, year after year after year, is to make sure that uh, you're either you don't lose ground, or that make sure that you get some additional ground. It, it, would that be a, a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, that for sure. <laughs> um, we we always feel, you know, that the federal investment in education is not as high as you know the state and local investments are. Um, you know, when you're looking at the whole pie chart of what a school receives money for, but. The, the role of the federal government was to ensure that there's equity and, and to make sure that the you know, lowest resource schools are getting additional funding through the Title I program. Um, so that's an area of focus for us. We also are really interested, you know, our, our massive federal education law is currently called the Every Student Succeeds Act. And there's one section of that Title II that is focused on principal and teacher quality. And so that's the area that we spend most of our time on appropriations is trying to make sure that there's enough funding for Title II so that all of these um, states and districts can get funding for, you know, looking at that pipeline, looking at the, the preparation program and what kind of training, you know, new teachers and principals are getting, making sure that they're getting ongoing professional development and support and what their evaluation system looks like. Um, a big area of success for us was that we got a carve out within the legislation to ensure that a certain proportion of that funding was actually being spent on school leaders because, um, you know, when when they get the money, they tend to focus more on their students and teachers and they don't spend a lot to invest in themselves, but they need to do that to be better at their jobs and to
0: grow. So, so you talked about dealing with appropriations and getting this carve out and, and getting those details there. Have you been using your members to help tell their personal stories uh, in this process to, to, to be able to communicate? We, you know, you you know from your experience, having worked on the Hill, that having personal stories that a member can use to be able to point out why they support something. Uh, yeah. Totally
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, the, the members of Congress obviously want to hear from constituents and, you know, principals know best with their school needs and how that funding can be used and and where they're going to be having success and and um, being able to explain that to members of Congress with the personal story about the student and who's been impacted um, is huge. And so anytime that We have principals in the DC area. I try to bring them up on Capitol Hill. We have an annual advocacy conference that takes place in the spring. And I'm sure we can talk a little bit more about that. But then the other opportunity that um, I've taken advantage of is every year we have an event to recognize the state principals of the year. So each of our state affiliates selects a principal of the year. And from that group of individuals, we select three finalists and then a national winner. But they all come to DC for a recognition program. And about 10 years ago, I believe, we started having a Hill Day where we would take them to meet with their members of Congress and found their voices um, to be incredibly powerful because they were recognized in their state as being an outstanding school leader. And so members of Congress definitely want to hear from them directly.
0: So you've used that platform to help advance your advocacy efforts and to make a special uh event uh specifically for those award winners in general how do you in your role and with NASSP, kind of grow your community of advocates how do you get them engaged we all we all know that busy people uh have a tendency to uh, not be able to put the time forward to be able to mm-hmm. do the work that that helps you so what do you how do you do that how do you get to that
1: yeah, so we have one advantage. We have kind of a grass tops um, advocate group. We call them our state coordinators, and one is appointed again from the state association to be a liaison to national. And their primary role is in advocacy. So, one of my staff members is their liaison. And you know, when a new coordinator comes on board, goes through a pretty lengthy orientation process with them about kind of what the expectations are but certainly anytime um, we have issues that arise you know we educate them we have we have i guess we're meeting with them now via zoom every other month and so we kind of educate them on what's going on on federal level um, and where are the opportunities that they can engage and you know the idea is we really want them to then be reaching out to their state networks and other principals you know, in their district. Um, and that's where that's where we get the most impact. So that's one areas through that group, and they attend the conference every year. But we do have um, an online digital advocacy platform that we use. Um, we actually switched platforms a few years ago to one that was going to be more mobile friendly, one that could use text messaging, because um, unlike on TV where you see the principal sitting in his office every day, you know, that is, that is not the reality. They are on their feet. They're constantly on the go in the hallways, you know, observing what's happening in classrooms. And so we wanted to make it really easy for them to be able to ta- t- to take action whenever we do have an issue that's come up. And so we either send them the email alert or we have, um, you know, the text messaging capability too, where we want them to take immediate action on something. And of that group of advocates, you know, once they're in our system, they also got a monthly newsletter from us, where again, we're just trying to educate them a little bit more about some of the issues and what's happening at the federal level um, so that they can be, um, you know, really good communicators when they do talk to their members of Congress.
0: So it's so it sounds to me as if they've already drank the Kool-Aid, if you will, to be the advocate. So your issue isn't necessarily them being the advocate. Your issue is more of uh, making sure that you are technically training them on the issues that, that you care about and what type of action you want them to take. Fair or yeah, not.
1: I mean- I, I, I would say that's fair. I mean, we're also, we're always trying to grow that network as well. So, you know, I, I take advantage of any opportunity. We know our national conference that we have in summer is really meant for professional development for principals. Um, but I'm really fortunate that they give me a platform. I usually have a couple of advocacy related sessions at that conference. I'm always in our, we call it our connection center in the exhibit hall where my staff and I are trying to meet principals and get them involved. And we usually try to do some sort of call to action um, during our CEO's you know, keynote address you know whatever whatever the hot issue may be this year it's been infrastructure and so you know we try and make it really easy for them like text this number and take action right now so we're constantly trying to educate principals and get them to be advocates when we're around them um my staff and i too you know in pre pandemic times would also travel to a lot of our state association conferences and and do that exact same thing I
0: don't- it sounds like you're incredibly engaged in multiple touch points with them at different ways to to keep them engaged. I often hear from other organizations or from the actual advocate, yeah, they wanted me to sign up. I signed up. I was excited to help. And then crickets. I didn't hear from them. (laughs) And and we have seen that many times that that has been issues with different organizations. Uh, I want to take a little spin off to the side here for a second. I also noticed that elevating student voices is really important to NASSP. Uh, Do you tie in advocacy with any of the events? I mean, I saw that you have a LEAD conference, you have the National uh, Student Council Conference and other young forums that you host uh, throughout the year. Uh, Do you tie advocacy together there as well?
1: We do, it's, it's a more recent development. We kind of realized that all of those student leaders we have access to are this untapped resource. And so I think it was about six years ago, six or seven years ago, we formed a student leadership advisory committee and it was made up of principals, um, some of the academic advisors for both the National Honor Society and National Student Council. And then we had six high school students and two middle-level students who served on the committee. And so when they come for their first meeting, we train them on advocacy, like starting at the, at the very beginning as to what is advocacy? What does that look like? Um, you know, what, what are different opportunities that students can get involved? Um, but we've really kind of built on that program to have them actually advocate with their members of Congress. We usually find sort of, you know, one or one or two issues. Um, I think most recently we talked about Title IV funding, which can be used for um, wellness, technology, and also like a well-rounded education, kind of something that students could all talk about. And so have them, we trained them with the talking points and give them, um, you know, handouts that they can use during their meetings and have them actually talk with their members of Congress. We've also had that committee um, host a couple of congressional briefings where they've spoken on specific topics. I think the most recent one was around civic engagement and and how students can get involved in voter registration and, and some other things at the school. But then that committee also has built their own training program. So you mentioned the lead conference, Um, when we would have that in person in Washington, DC, then that same week that they were with us, they would then conduct a session for the attendees of the lead conference. Uh, And very similar to what we had done for them earlier in the week about what is advocacy and what are ways that you can get involved. And so it's through that committee that we've done most of the work, but our organization is embarking on a new strategic roadmap right now. <laughs> we're we're sort of a month into the process, and so I know that student voice and really engaging them more in our advocacy work is going to be a, a big piece of what we want to do in the future.
0: You know, I remember, uh, and, and I think all that work is absolutely fabulous, and I think it's it's wonderful because I remember, uh, you know, majoring in political science. Uh, mm-hmm at the Pennsylvania State University and having the opportunity to come to Capitol Hill, sit down and meet with members of Congress and go around Washington and learn more about the nuts and bolts about what, what goes on in Washington. You know, I found the members of Congress really, really interested in talking to the students. Mm-hmm. And t- tell me about that experience, if you will, then. For, for yeah. The
1: I mean, that's definitely true. When they found out that it was a student who was coming to visit with them, you know, I I can remember a few of the senators from Delaware would like step out of a committee meeting um, just to make sure that they got to shake their hand and talk to them about whatever the issues were. I think they were... um, I'm very surprised by how well they spoke about, about some of the topics and how forceful they could be in the advocacy for asking them what it was that they wanted. Um, but definitely, uh, and, and most recently we had to do a, a virtual Hill Day with that group during the pandemic. And the same thing, like so many of the members of Congress, you know, stepped out of other meetings to make sure that they could be there and participate in those conversations um, with young people.
0: You know, I I do an awful lot of work with young people with with different groups and and speaking to them, and I almost have found that that's a sweet spot. And the reason why I bring that up is they they become so passionate about it. They're not jaded. Uh, They definitely want to create change, and they are very attentive to you know what are the secrets. What are what are all the hidden ways that I can create influence with that. and so in a general term then, why do you think, I mean, you've been in the role for what, 16 years as the director of mm-hmm. advocacy here. Why is political influence important?
1: Oh gosh. I mean, I, <laughs> I think that, you know, for the most part, especially in education, I don't think people realize who's making the decisions and really what a, what a wide impact that is having on everybody. I mean, if you think about that, you know, our, our schools are educating people to go on to be to be anything, to, to find the cure for cancer someday and, and all these other areas. And it's so vitally important what they're doing in their schools. And, you know, sometimes um, the decisions are being made without really understanding what, what school is like. You know, um, I, I don't know how many members of Congress and their staff have actually attended public schools or have attended public schools recently. I mean, even for me, I'm pretty far removed from being in a school, and it just looks very different now than what it did back then. And so, I think um, that's why it's so important for the educators and for the students to be to be talking about that and what their schools need. Um, we find too that that even at the local level. Um, principals are, are, tend to be, you know, mid-level managers, and so even though they're the one who are going to have to implement all of these policies and the decisions in their school building, they often aren't at the table when those policies are being developed, and so, you know, we're trying to encourage principals to not only have a voice at the federal level, but to be to be advocates for their school's needs, you know, to their state legislators and even to their local school board and their superintendent, um, because they're the ones who are in the building every day seeing what the
0: impact is. You know, a lot of organizations use kind of site visits as a way of engaging members uh, with a school site visit. I mean, have you done that with either members of Congress or their district staff to have them come in to have a better idea of what school looks like today? Because it is very different.
1: Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, it, It started I'm not remembering the timing of everything I've been at NASSP for a while but it started with the Department of Education you know because many of them many of the the policy staff and even some of the you know dedicated educated staff hadn't been in school in quite some time and it was really important to understand the the principal's role because many of them had a teaching background But we've expanded that. We um, celebrate National Principals Month in October, actually. And we usually have a dedicated week where we encourage principals to invite their members of Congress or even other decision makers, like I said, state legislators or school board members um, to come and shadow them for a day, to literally follow them in their shoes and and just see... um, see what it is that they do on a daily basis and, and kind of get away from those stereotypes that I had referenced before and really understand, you know, the role that they have in teaching and learning and creating that climate where kids want to come and be ready to learn. And so it's been incredibly powerful. We've had we had some of our principals who were in school, you know, during the pandemic and, and fall 2020. Um, you know, have a governor come to visit and wear masks and we're very safe about it. But we're just trying to show too, like some of the challenges of implementing, you know, some of the the CDC recommendations with kids in the building and and see exactly what that looked like and why some of that funding was so vitally um, welcomed and needed, you know, that Congress provided to us last year for emergency relief.
0: Well, and and, and without question, if you look at the news every day uh, recently, uh, schools, teachers, school boards, uh, other leaders uh, in the education field, uh, you know, definitely are at the forefront of how we're dealing with uh, the Delta variant and the COVID, COVID right now, the CDC, what state regulations may or may not be put on them and and so on and so forth. Uh, you served as a legislative assistant uh, in, in Congress for, for a congresswoman. How important is long-term relationship development with elected officials? And because of so much of what your organization touches begins at a local level, mm-hmm. you begin with those touch points at the local level because we often see... Local elected officials then become either the state level or congressional level and keep moving on up. So, how important do you push building those relationships at that local level?
1: We do. So, um, again, we work really closely with our counterparts for our state affiliates. We have a state lobbyist network and we meet with that group on a monthly basis. Um, kind of talking about what strategies they're using at the state level to make those connections and build coalitions because NASSP does not not do any state or local advocacy, but we try and provide support to them and, you know, give them those strategies that they need. Um, but you find, I mean, especially in some of the more rural areas of the country, you know, the principals are, are very well known within their community and, and often will be told like, oh, well, this member of Congress's child attended my school or, or, you know, they go to my church or we shop at the same grocery store. And so, you know, we really try and capitalize on some of those relationships relationships. Um, You know, I told you we have our our in-person advocacy conference and we usually start Monday night just with a, a welcome reception for everyone to get to see each other again and to network a little bit. And I'm always thrilled because a number of people will come up to me and tell me that they were on the same flight to D.C. with their member of Congress or their senator and that they, you know, went up to them at baggage claim and said, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing you on Wednesday because And and that they recognize them because they've um, come to the conference every year and they've built those relationships. And so it definitely makes it easier, you know, whenever we have um, any kind of an ask. You know, our New Jersey affiliate had built a relationship with one member of Congress and, you know, was able to to get her to be a speaker for a session that we had at our virtual event this year. And so it was just an easy phone call and she was happy to do it. So it's important.
0: Yeah, I often. I was I was chuckling as you were giving that example, uh, because on on Monday evening, on weeks that, that Congress is in session, you could almost take roll at Reagan somewhere between four and seven o'clock at night uh, on Monday evening uh, because uh, they're, they're constantly coming uh, back and forth. And I've had that same exact experience on many flights uh, to, to and from uh, D.C., Being involved as a Director of Advocacy for this time period, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word advocacy?
1: I mean, you know, the, de- the definition is finding a solution to a problem that exists. I mean, for us, like I said, we're trying to ensure that we have great leaders in our school that are committed to the success of each student. So for us, it's, you know, those policies that are going to help us help principals do their jobs better. Um, so that that's how I see advocacy and the work that we do.
0: Great. You've got a relatively large advocacy program. I mean, with a lot of different touch points and you've talked about your team mm-hmm. uh, and running a, a large advocacy program can be difficult. Uh, what are some of your biggest challenges? Are they time? Are they staff bandwidth? Or is it something else? Yeah,
1: I think it's time, and and it is staff bandwidth too. Um, you know, for for most of this year, we've been a three person team, and so the way that that I kind of look at the department is I do a lot of the policy development work, working with our board of directors on our position statements, working directly with the Department of Education on the work that they're doing. I have another staff person who serves predominantly as our federal lobbyist and does most of the appropriations work for us. And then third, Um, And this was sort of a new role that I designed a few years ago, but it was about what we've talked about how important it is for the school leaders themselves to be advocates so I had you know purposely sought out an individual who's background was in grassroots advocacy and organizing and campaigns and getting volunteers motivated and wanting them to do the work. Um, and, you know, he's done a really good job with that. We've really, um, you know, seen our state coordinators grow and what they're able to do and, you know, just had a lot more interest and a lot more success with some of our grassroots campaigns. But that that's kind of how we, we divvy up our Divvy up our responsibilities, um, but it is hard. We're a small we're a small department within my organization, so we kind of get pulled into everything.
0: Well, and because of all your issues touching everything else that goes on within the organization, I can see how that easily happens. Right. You know let's get let's get the feedback. How is this going to affect our policy? What's going, you know, what's going on in the Hill? What's going on with the Department of Education, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, this interview has flown and, and time flies when we when we do this. Do you have any final thoughts or anything that you'd like to add or share with the audience?
1: I mean, I just think it's important for, for advocates. To stick together, I think there are so many new thing, new and exciting things happening in digital advocacy, and you know, looking at where other organizations have had success with building their network and keeping members engaged. And so, you know, I'm a huge proponent in professional development and also forming those networks. And so, for me, I would say if there are any, you know. Female advocates listening to this podcast, I hope they would get involved with an organization like Women in, Women in Government Relations and attend the Professional Women in Advocacy Conference <laughs> in October. Um, but I'm always um, happy to serve as a mentor, too. I find that, find that really fulfilling, and I find it important to, to search out people who have had success and see how you, they can help you in the future.
0: Well, I think that's an excellent message to end on, and I agree with you. Uh, particularly women, need to participate in that conference. I had Leanne on earlier in one of my shows, and and she promoted that and and pushed that as well. And I agree with that. That should be something that uh, continuing education is always needed. Things are changing constantly. And so, Amanda, I thank you very much. But how can people reach you Uh, or NASSP uh, for more information, or even if you wanted to throw out uh, the uh, Government Relations Conference, the WGR.
1: Sure, of course. Well, NASSP's website's easy. It's just nassp.org. You can find my contact information there as well, women in government relations, wgr.org, and it's the PWIA conference. .org. Um, So I think the early bird registration deadline is coming up in a week or so. So would definitely get people to check it out soon.
0: Well, great. If you have an opportunity, please join that. And that is a wrap of today's wonderful conversation with Amanda Carhus, the director of advocacy for the National Association of Secondary School Principals. Thank you, Amanda, for being on the show today, and absolutely. All the best in the future.
1: Thank you, Roger.
0: Let's face it. Today's advocacy arena is just plain noisy. Organizations are stretched. You need every advantage to make sure your issue gets the attention it deserves and your voice heard. The RAP Index is the best way to do just that by finding your stakeholders' relationships and engagement power. Get past the noise. Know who your people know. Go to rapindex.com, that's R-A-P-Index.com, and tell them Roger sent you for a special offer. If you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts, and subscribe to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. A big thank you to today's guest. I appreciate your time and the unwavering passion for advocacy you have. Well, that's it for this episode of Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Now go out and make it a better world.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's Voices in Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices in Advocacy, go to our website, VoicesinAdvocacy.com.